0: Listener production. Colin Fastnage became a chef before celebrity chefs were a thing.
1: I started cooking when I was 18. At the time, it wasn't a very glamorous job. It wasn't what it is now.
0: He remembers the days of hot, fiery kitchens where anything and everything went. But something has changed. This chef, once schooled in the kitchens of Hard Knocks, has softened. I can't read.
1: You can't read? All right, do you want? pork, bacon, veggie bowl. I don't like that. Why do you not like it? You don't like vegetables?
0: He's a household name. You'll probably know him as the kind of tempered judge from My Kitchen Rules, or more recently as a contestant on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here.
1: Something I won't miss from camp, rice and beans. I never see another rice or bean, i tell you. Look. I'm 10 kilos lighter, for rice and beans.
0: I sat down with Colin to talk about all things reality television, including what it's like to see yourself portrayed on screen in a way that runs counter to who you actually are. Colin opens up about food, his family, and how becoming a dad changed him. Colin also reflects on the crippling reality of COVID-19 and how it's affected the already struggling food scene. Mental health troubles are commonplace for those who make our foodie culture what it is. And Colin says that sooner or later, something's got to give. Coming up, the weekend list. But first, here is my interview with Colin Fastnage. Professional kitchens are hot, messy, fast-paced environments. That's kind of what they're famous for. Do you think that's why chefs who work in them tend to have a reputation for being a little bit hot headed and grumpy sometimes?
1: Uh, well, it, it's sort of seen as when, when I grew up, um, no one wants to be a chef. So when I became a chef, it, it, it was a hard career. It is a very hard career. You work weekends, everyone else is out, whatever. And then it became sort of a, on TV, made it sort of a rock star career. And then everyone wanted to do it. Um, but the people who went in to do it didn't realise you actually have to work hard. It's not like it was years ago. You know, there is a quality to life. Back then, you just worked 16 hours a day in the kitchen when I was growing up. And violence was prevalent and, and bad language. And I think people have just grown up and, and sort of said, you don't need to do that now to have good food. It's, it's chalk and cheese to what it was. Because uh, if my kids were going to go in, it, it's a much better place for my kids to work in a kitchen now than, than when I grew up.
0: What changed for you? Was there a person in your life who started to change the way you operated in a kitchen or was there an impetus or a moment that kind of made you go, hold on, maybe we could do this differently?
1: Yeah, I know exactly when it happened. It was when my first daughter popped out and uh, oh. I was I was working 16 hours a day uh, and I had a temper and I was angry like most chefs and it was all about goals and awards and, and, and how you get to the end. And then when I had my daughter, everything sort of changed. And I was like, mate, there's more to life than cooking, which which is quite odd for me because my whole life was cooking. <laughs> uh, and then you've got to look after this little person. So I had other things to worry about. And then your cooking changes, um, your, your nutrition and what you're putting into other people's bodies changes because now you're feeding this little person and, and then that plays on into your diners. And then just the quality of life for your staff because you're like, well, I need time off to look after my uh, daughter because my wife can't look after her all the time. And then just the, the conversation then in kitchens around women uh, because then I had daughters, so that changed as well. So everything changed.
0: Sounds like your daughters had a real impact on not just your cooking but on you. Did, is it fair to say that they softened you a little bit?
1: Oh, 100%. Obviously, I'm much grayer. I'm looking older and, uh, and beaten do down that. by all the women in my house, but they have made me sort of the uh, three women in my house the person I am today. It, like You, you know, I'm, I can see a bigger picture. I actually get to do more stuff that I've, I've stepped back a bit from cooking and I get to see, you know, just let my staff run and not not micromanage stuff so that, yeah, so I have a much better quality of life now that I have children.
0: You made a cooking show with your kids during the lockdown periods. Hi, I'm Colin Fastage. Hi, I'm Mae. And I'm Lily. And this is
1: Cooking with Mae and Lily. And sometimes Dad.
0: I know that a lot of us turn to food for comfort during those isolation times. Some of us got a bit too much comfort, me included but a lot of people also got their home cooking on in a way that perhaps they hadn't done before. Do you think that's a trend that's here to stay?
1: Oh, I I guarantee it's here to stay. I mean, like if you haven't learned to cook, or your garden doesn't look good, or your room, your back room downstairs isn't painted, I don't know what you were doing during COVID, because there was nothing else to do. You know, p- families were starting to panic. No one knew what was going on. The, the the stores were running out of food, and I think just cooking a meal and sitting around the table as a family was sort of calming everything down, and it was sort of a positive out of the big negative. And even um, I know from the chef industry, a lot of my industry now are dropping out because they realize that cooking at home and spending time with family is more important than, you know, breaking your back for awards or dots and plates. So I think everything changed after COVID and food was a driving force.
0: So what about you? What was your childhood dish that used to keep you calm or comfort you?
1: We had a lot of stew. That's what I remember growing up with stew. Ireland is all about stew and potatoes. I look at it <laughs> fondly now, but back then we ate a lot of stew and I wasn't too impressed. But um, I think just cooking and sitting around the table in our house was huge. Our, our entire family just revolved around food.
0: I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Let's talk I'm a celeb. Um, <laughs> how did the jungle? That was that was a very interesting. Mm, that well, there was a lot in that. Mm. How did nah, the jungle right, compare yeah. to your to your expectations going in?
1: I don't think um, when they showed it, they they showed how hard it actually was. Like mm. they showed the the upbeat moments and the, they do show like a few tears and all that, but I mean you're twenty four seven locked in this enclosure. I likened it to you like the lions in the zoo. You don't you don't see any cameramen, because everything's hid it's all on trees you don't see anybody
0: I didn't know that I I had an image in my head of of you guys being surrounded by camera people
1: no there's no one there you see nobody and uh, you hear nobody so you're locked in this with these 13 people in this enclosure and you're just left to sort of fend for yourself two spoonfuls of porridge in the morning, four spoonfuls of rice in the afternoon. And then if you won your challenge, you got dinner. So I was dizzy for a lot of the time because
0: yeah.
1: I lost uh, seven kilos. And I think just the heat and stuff like that and the monotony, I think, got to people. But um, it was a great experience to do. Would I do it again? now? but I mean... The reason I did it was because obviously I've done MKR, which I, I love doing, but there was a perception of that's the person I am on MKR, but that's a character or the way you're edited. And I was getting a little bit tired of people saying I was this person. I'm like, well, I'm nothing like that person. Do you know what I mean? I'm basically a 12-year-old in an adult body. I'm an idiot um, <laughs> who likes to have fun. And on MKR, you didn't have any fun and it was everyone was fighting and miserable. So I went on it to prove a point, and I think I've done that now. And obviously my kids bet me I'd be back after a week, so, you know, anything for a bet.
0: Do you think I'm a Celeb's been a more accurate presentation of who you are than MKR?
1: Yeah, I was 100% happy with the way I was portrayed because I was in full control of my own destiny. There was no one really editing me. There was no one telling me what to do. So if it went wrong, it was my own fault. And I had a ball. Like after the year we had like a shocking year. I woke up every day going, you're in the jungle. You know what I mean? I've no social media. I've no, no one chasing me about emails. Just enjoy it.
0: When you were in the jungle, you told some of the contestants about just how tough it was for you making a name for yourself when you were a young chef and how it was easy to pick fights. Why was that? What used to come about? Was it jealousy? Was it sort of fear of owning your own turf? What led to those fights?
1: Oh, a lot of it is, um, yeah, holding your own turf. A big part of it is ego. Chefs have got huge egos, mate, and especially chefs on TV. It <laughs> um, <laughs> just adds to it. But I mean, it's like uh, everyone's fighting for their little patch in the city and uh, to make their name. And, and if you know what I mean, it's, it's a very hard career to make your name in. And then when you start making your name, you're trying to outprove the next guy.
0: One chef who, of course, has been making headlines of late is Pete Evans and he's been in the news for some of his factually inaccurate and, I've got to say, frankly dangerous views.
1: Do we have the belief in ourselves that we are contagious, that we are spreaders of something? I I choose not to believe in that narrative because it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: How did you reconcile the bloke you know on set, who I'm sure you're friendly with, with the things Pete says publicly?
1: Um, Well, Pete was has been like that since I've known him and sort of you're controlled by a TV network because there's certain views don't go online or on brand with the TV show. And then when he stopped doing the TV show, Pete was free to express his views. I know the man, like I know the, the guy who I'd go surfing with or, or my kids would hang out with his kids, but I also don't have to agree with um, the cope. Like I wear a mask. I, I've got restaurants where COVID's hit and I just don't get into an argument about it. Like, I don't go out of my way to ring him up and because, you know what I mean, that's his view and I'm not going to change it. And I've got my view and he's not going to change it.
0: You just mentioned wearing masks in in your restaurants. Yeah. COVID has, of course, hit the Aussie hospitality industry pretty damn hard. How has that strain been for chefs and others working in hospitality?
1: Uh, well, there's a good and a bad. The, the We're lucky that the uh, government came in and and did the job keeper, which was uh, a real saviour because we didn't really know what was going to happen at the start. The bad side was everyone who was on a visa, the government didn't look after. So the guys had been paying tax for years. So they all had to leave. So that's a huge, we're missing a huge chunk of um, skilled labour force, which have now left Australia, which I don't know who's going to do it because the kids coming up today don't want to be chefs. Like it's not pretty out there and there's a lot of people lost jobs. So... It's hard enough trying to make money in hospitality anyway. Yeah. Our industry is that dark already. So everyone should, you know, talk to their their chefs, should talk to other chefs and, and restaurateurs. And I know a lot of people that have got out of the industry because they're like, it's not worth it. My mental health's not worth it.
0: You've been doing some pretty remarkable work, supporting people who've been hit hard by the pandemic and for whom access to the basics has become really complicated. Can you tell us about the work you've been doing with homeless Australians?
1: Uh, Well, not really homeless. It was uh, when the restaurants closed. So our buildings closed and they turned off the power. So I had 10 grand's worth of food. And I said, I'll give it to the workers who had the visas and weren't going to get any money. So I started feeding workers, hospitality. Then there was people from the airlines lost their jobs. And this before JobKeeper came in. And people were just panicking, like, how do I feed food? And some woman actually called me uh, 40 minutes from Sydney out past the National Park, and she had a miscarriage. I mean, her her and her husband had both lost their jobs in the airlines, and she was starting to panic. So I drove out like an hour and a half and dropped off a food hamper. And then all the people started to contact me. So then I was was like Meals and Wheels dropping off food hampers. (laughs) And all my suppliers started giving me food, and we do it every Monday. And I've got a great uh, group of suppliers like Pasta Vera, Rose Cakes, all these different people come and help us every week and just give away product. But it's, you know, it's good for the soul.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the conversations are probably just as important as the food too. Colin, thank you so much for joining us on the weekend briefing.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Colin Fastnidge reminding us that looking out for others is also a way of looking out for ourselves. Up next, The Weekend List. Tate, let's start with what we should be watching. I think I've reached the bottom of Netflix.
2: Oh, well, no, you haven't seen this. It's The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It's a Netflix four-part true crime series that looks at the disappearance of Elisa Lam in downtown Los Angeles. And it's creepy as hell. Throughout its history, the Hotel Cecil has always had a dark persona. People call it hotel death. This
0: was a place where serial killers let their hair down.
2: I can't get over it. You must check it out so we can discuss. Jamila, do you have a podcast for us? I always have a podcast. I
0: am a longtime fan of the Shameless podcast by Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Their latest In Conversation podcast is with someone called Denny Todorovic, Denny is probably best known by their moniker, which is style by Denny. Denny has had the most amazing career as a fashion editor at Cosmopolitan magazine and now GT magazine and works as a celebrity stylist. And this interview is so engaging, so beautiful, and a really interesting exploration of someone coming to terms with their gender identity I didn't know about Denny before listening to the podcast and I am now obsessed with everything Denny does.
2: Oh, wow. What an important conversation. At
1: the start, everyone was like, oh, wait, are you trans? Like, are you transitioning? They're like, what's non-binary? We don't know what you're talking about. So the first person I told was my best friend Riley at Mardi Gras. It was like the night before the Mardi Gras parade. And I said, Rye, I think I am non-binary. And then I said, no, actually, I know I am. And I think I'd like you to start using they, them pronouns. How do you feel about that? And Riley just looked at me and said, Den, I'll love you regardless, but I just want you to make sure that you are like a thousand percent sure in that feeling.
2: I also have an album I want you to listen to. It's a new EP that was released yesterday. Chicago's very own Alexander 23. He released, oh no, not again. If you like your like sad boy bedroom pop, maybe a bit of like Jeremy Zucker. (laughs) Um, That should be a proper,
0: like, legit category. I think it legitimately
2: is. If you think of, like, Lauv or Lainey, Gracie Abrams, they're all, like, the sad producers in their bedrooms, but it's, like, such a good vibe. It's really easy listening as well, so get your ears across that. Nothing's the same as it used to be Even my friends can't talk to me Used to have fun, now we only get together
0: That's all we've got time for today on The Weekend Briefing, the deep dive into the humans behind the headlines. Please make sure that you download the Listener app. That way you can get all of the great content from us and other shows and you can make sure you never miss an episode of The Weekend Briefing or The Briefing. The team will be back on Monday at 6am. Make sure you get the headlines in your headphones. Listener.